You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1066 of Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And today's podcast is brought to you by the good folks at rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Today's podcast will be some news at the top of the show, as well as some over-under talk and some mailbag questions, sort of a smorgasbord of sorts. Start the week, I have some guests planned in the next couple of weeks, but a solo podcast tonight, and thank you as always for listening. I want to remind you that last week was also very busy on the show, including a two-part deep dive with good friend of the podcast, Tower Jones, and much more, including a Friday night episode, etc. So that's all still relevant, all still in the feed, and uh, please subscribe and tell your friends. All right. At the top of the podcast, some news to hit on. The Hawks have a new assistant coach, uh, reportedly. Uh, Nick Van Exel uh, was first reported by Adrian, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN and later confirmed by multiple outlets that Van Exel will, will be joining the Hawks staff as an assistant. He'll be replacing Marlon Garnett, who was reported to be heading to Charlotte at the end of last week. Van Exel is, of course, a former player, a prominent name, but was also part of the Hawks player development staff under a different regime. But from 2010 to 2013, he was on that player development side for Atlanta behind the bench. Um, most recently, he was a Grizzlies assistant and a scout for the Mavericks in the last few years. Um, obviously, he did play a long time, was an all-star at one point, played for, six, played for six teams across 13 seasons. And also, I would say it's also a fit sort of on paper because Marlon Garnett was a specialist in working with guards, which Van Exel is obviously very familiar with as a former NBA point guard. So uh, not been announced just yet by the Hawks as of Monday evening, but I'm sure that's going to be happening. By all accounts, it's going to be happening. And uh, as quickly as that vacancy was uh, revealed, it has now been filled, and there you go on that. Um, in terms of basketball watching, it's sort of a dead time at this moment in time, but if you're a Hawks fan, there might be something that's pretty interesting to take in um, with some live basketball. Gorgie Jang is playing for Senegal in the FIBA African Champions Championships, or the Afro Basket, as they call it, um, beginning this week. So that's a chance to see a current member of the Hawks play in a live setting if you want to find it. I know Kevin Chouinard of Hawks.com tweeted this out, some of the info and the uh, streaming information, but Senegal plays Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday. So if you are looking for some live basketball to watch and a guy who you haven't watched before because Jang was not a part of the Hawks last season, that is an opportunity to take that in. Also, some former Hawks in there. Bruno Fernando is supposed to be playing, as well as Eddie Tavares. Um, so that's uh, going to be interesting to sort of take it all in. But Gorgie Jang is playing basketball in a live setting in the next few days. Um, last thing on the news front. There was a report from Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com about Cam Reddish and the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm going to read the report to you now from Fedor. Uh, Quote, Atlanta's Cam Reddish has been a Cleveland front office favorite since the 2019 draft. They've been in contact with Atlanta about him, even though the price remains high. End quote. Um, No surprise here. I think a lot of teams should be looking at Cam Reddish if they're able to and willing to and have the assets to trade for him. As I mentioned last week with Tyler on the podcast, I've continued to hear that Reddish is still available. Um, I would not stun me if they were to trade him at some point in time. I know Hawks fans don't like that, but it's just kind of the nature of the beast here. But as I said on that podcast, i say it again here, they're not going to give him away. The price being high is not exactly a surprise to me. I think they're going to ask for some real stuff back. And unless they get that stuff back, they'll not be trading Reddish. Um, I think was a good example. So I think Tyler actually put this out on Twitter at one point. John Collins was reportedly available, and this is you know a year and a half ago now. 
but was definitely you know available in trades. Now, available versus being shopped is very different, but he was available to the point where if the Hawks had gotten the perfect offer for him, they would have probably done that. Um, Reddish is obviously not quite as proven or as good as Collins at this point in time, but I think him being available is not even something that I would say is up for debate. I think he is available, but it's just whether or not they could actually get the price that they're asking for. But according to the reporting here with the, with, on the Cavs' side, the asking price for Reddish is still high from Atlanta, and uh, no surprise there all the way around. But I want to at least point that out because it was reported in the last couple of days. All right, before we get into some uh, bet online over under talk and much more on the podcast, a word from our sponsors today, and the first of which is Sweatblock. There are a few things in life that just are not any fun to talk about, and one of them is excessive sweating. It's not fun for anyone to sweat through their shirt for no reason. I'm sure we've all dealt with this at some point in time, and while there are definitely bigger problems in the world, it can certainly feel like a big deal when it happens in the moment. And that's why you should check out Sweatblock and Iperspirant Wipes. Sweatblock is stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. You can simply apply it at night before you go to bed, and then after you go to bed, the next morning you can wake up, wash, and go about your day without worrying at all about sweat. Guaranteed. Sweatblock is doctor-created and doctor-recommended. It works for up to seven days per use. There is also, by the way, a dry shirt guarantee, and if Sweatblock doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. It's manufactured in the USA. Sweatblock has a bestseller on Amazon and other places for the past decade. I know it might sound too good to be true, but it absolutely works. You can wear what you want to wear with confidence, and it really is an absolute must-have. If you or someone you know and love is dealing with this, you have to check out Sweatblock right now. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with the promo code locked on or check it out at a CVS near you right now. One more time, that is promo code locked on at sweatblock.com for 20% off. Promo code locked on at sweatblock.com. Today's podcast is also sponsored by the good folks at betonline.ag. The offseason is here for the Atlanta Hawks in full force, but Bet Online is still the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is still in full swing at this point in time. You can track all the action, though, at Bet Online and beyond baseball. There is all kinds of interest from sport to sport, entertainment, and much more. Get all the latest news, the odds, and the information for all of your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, UFC, MMA, golf, tennis, auto racing, F1. All that fun stuff, you can find it all at BetOnline. And on top of that, you have odds boosters, entertainment bets, the works. You can find it all in one place. Before the next pitch, dribble, or pass, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prepare for their run to their respective playoffs. Head to the website right now or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code Locked On. 50% 50% extra cash if you use the promo code locked on when you sign up at betonline.ag. Check it all out in one place, your best place to find all the sports action, the fastest, easiest, and best. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, and before we get into some recently released over-under win totals from our friends at betonline.ag, this is sort of a funny thing that I'm actually going to point out here, but I'm taking credit 100% for this, uh, although I'm kind of joking, but it's kind of pretty interesting to me. Anyway... Last week, I tweeted and then talked about on the podcast that Clint Capella was not listed with with Defensive Player of the Year odds by BetOnline, and I found that pretty odd because he finished in the top six last year for the award, and honestly, I'd have him even higher than that on my own ballot last year, plus there's like 29, 30 players that were listed with odds, and I mentioned that multiple times. I was alerted, though, on Monday that BetOnline had added Capella at 40-1 to as an option to bet on for DPOI, and I made a joke about it on Twitter about taking credit for it, and then after that... But online, Sportsbook Manager Adam Burns replied to me on Twitter, which is now publicly, uh, you can definitely see that in public, and said that I could take credit for it. So 
Um, Adam was probably kidding, to be honest with you, but I'm still taking a little bit of credit here, and Hawks fans, if they want to, I'm not encouraging this, but if they want to, can uh, feel free to examine the potential of Capella winning DPOI at 40-1. to So a good sort of bridge into here and uh, definitely sort of a funny thing that was happening, and shouts to Adam for being engaging over at BetOnline. Um, okay, um, in the last couple of weeks, though, people have been asking me about various win total projections that have floated around the internet, but I've been waiting until now because BetOnline released their over-unders for win totals on Monday, and that's always a, uh, I'll say a landmark occasion for me. It's very interesting through that lens. So the headliner, obviously, in this, in this space, on this podcast, is the Hawks stuff. And the Hawks are listed with an over-under of 46.5 wins for next season. So I will do some context later on the podcast with, um, with regard to the Eastern Conference overall. But I'll start with the win total itself for the Hawks. So last year, the Hawks were 41-31 and 31 in the regular season. That means they won about 57% of their games in the regular season, even if you ignore their playoff run. That was their, you know, obviously this is a regular season projection. 57% of their wins of the games, I should say, last year that they were victorious in. So on, on an 82-game basis, which is, by the way, this season's back to 82 games, on that on that basis, that 41-31 record would be about 46.7 wins. So between 46 and 47, a little bit closer to 47, which is essentially right at this over-under win total of 46.5. So on one hand, I could sort of understand that because the Hawks didn't make that huge splash in the offseason. Uh, teams got better in the East. Uh, you know, Miami got Kyle Lowry, for instance. Brooklyn's healthy now, etc. Uh, the Knicks got Kemba Walker. All that fun stuff. Um, they did, though, retain all their key guys. That's definitely worth pointing out. I'll come back to that in a second. But their top newcomers being DeLon Wright, Gorgie Jang, and some rookies – does not exactly move the needle, uh, I would say, outside of Atlanta. I think locally, and I've been saying this a lot, I love the offseason for the Hawks. I think they did a very, very good job overall this offseason. But with that said, they've not gotten a whole lot of you know attention, not necessarily negative, but not hugely positive national stuff, and that probably leads to at least some of this. But it's worth pointing out, and I did it a lot last year, but it's been a while, the Hawks had terrible injury luck last season. They had four guys that were pretty healthy, uh, Trey Young, John Collins, Clint Capella, and Kevin Herter in their, in their regular rotation. Those guys played at least 63 of the 72 games for the Hawks last year, but a lot of the supporting guys did not. So 44 for Vodanovic, 26 for Reddish, 23 for Hunter, 51 for Gallinari, and then they also took 27 games of bad Rondo in there that were uh, pretty much a, uh, I would say, an overwhelming negative, plus a bunch of minutes to guys like Bruno Fernando, et cetera, that were not fantastic minutes last year. So you could certainly argue that, you know, there's some ups and downs, but I think overall injury luck was not on, on a positive side for the Hawks last year. Beyond that, Atlanta's still pretty young, and I think they have more young guys that are likely to improve when compared to older guys who are likely to regress. You could certainly argue that Gallinari and Lou Williams are in line for potential regression as they get older into their mid-30s, or even that Capella may not be quite as good because he was awesome last season. But for the most part, guys like Trey Young and John Collins, Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish should be as good or better on a permanent basis next season, and you project, project they have to obviously play more with regard to Reddish and, um, and Hunter. So I think all things considered, uh, the returning guys should uh, – I would say outplay what they did last year overall. Plus, I think that DeLon Wright and Gorgie Jank could help them this year, and this is a deep basketball team with a lot of strengths. Um, so on Twitter, i said this before, but even without doing like a full-blown projection, which I'm not quite done just yet, and at some point I'll be talking on the podcast 
about over-unders across the league. Before I do all of that stuff, though, I am very comfortable right now in late August saying that my prediction slash projection for the Hawks will be over that 46.5 win total. Um, that's not gospel, but I will be definitely, uh, barring an injury or something weird or trade, I will have the Hawks over uh, at that number that they um, put out there but online on Monday. Um, with that said, uh, we'll get into the East real quickly here to put the Hawks in some context. And every year on the podcast, I have Robbie Callen, good friend of the good friend of the show, on in the offseason to go over the, go sort of over the over under win totals for all of the teams in the East and the West. I love that podcast. It will definitely happen, just not today. But there are some stuff that's interesting through the lens of the Hawks here. Um, there are some teams that protect the head of the Hawks in the East. Brooklyn is 55 and a half wins. Milwaukee is 54 and a half wins. Those are the two highest in the entire NBA. They're both in the East. Then Philadelphia is 51 and a half. That's uh, tied for U- t- tied with Utah and Phoenix for fourth highest in the league. And then Miami is 48 and a half. Uh, then you have the Hawks also behind teams like Golden State, Dallas, Denver, etc. at 46 and a half, and they're tied with the Celtics at 46 and a half. So essentially, there are four teams in the East. Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Miami that have higher win totals projections than the Hawks and then a fifth team is tied with Atlanta and Boston. Um, They are ahead of the Knicks, Bulls, Pacers, Hornets, and Raptors in that order and uh, also some, this is sort of non-betting stuff, but uh, ESPN put out their power rankings today on Monday and the Hawks were behind Miami as well. Still ahead of Boston and New York, but they were number nine overall in that setting. So the consensus nationally seems to be the Hawks as the number five or six even team in the Eastern Conference. So I'm a little bit higher on them than that. I will say that right now. I've said a couple times that I think they're better than the Heat. I'm firmly that they're, that they're better than the Boston Celtics at this point in time, but that's where the market is right now for Atlanta. And the final thing on the odds front that I want to make sure I point out, this is very interesting to me because um, I think early, 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 before I was even doing this podcast, when the Hawks had their great run in 2014-15, I had written and sort of touted the Hawks at plus 600 to win the Southeast Division back then. And they, of course, won it by like 15 games that year because they won 60 games. Um, this isn't quite that juicy, but Online put out their uh, title odds and conference odds earlier this month, but now their division odds are also out. And the Hawks are plus 250 to win the Southeast. So basically, you win two and a half times what you bet on the Hawks if they win the Southeast division. Miami is a pretty big favorite at minus 190. Charlotte is plus 550. And then Washington's 40 to 1. Orlando's 150 to 1. So I'll just say that I'm sure I'll come back to this later on in the podcast or at least in the uh, in the offseason. But basically, that number implies that the Hawks win the division about 28.6% of the time. I think that number is too low. I'll just say that right now. I think the Hawks are a great value at that number, and we'll see what happens between now and then. But uh, division favorite, I think, in my mind, and even if, even if not a massive favorite, um, them being a pretty big underdog to Miami here is pretty surprising to me. But there you go, and we'll be there uh, throughout the season and preseason and all that stuff to talk about all the latest and my updated thoughts on how things might project. Okay, before we get into some mailbag questions in the last segment of the podcast, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is rockauto.com. Have you ever gone to a chain store looking for auto parts that fit your car? Is it maddening? Because it is for me. I know it has been in the past and it will be if I ever try that again. But frankly, I don't ever need to do that again because of rockauto.com. Rock Auto has been serving auto parts customers for 20 years at this point in time. And you could save time and money when you use Rock Auto. They have all kinds of auto parts that will fit your lifestyle, fit your preferences, and 
The best part is you don't have to endure the pointless questioning from someone behind the counter who's only looking to sell you the one part or one kind of part that they have in their warehouse. RockAuto.com has everything you could possibly need from brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. And honestly, the prices are always reliably low for every customer and they really serve the do-it-yourselfer very, very effectively. You can go explore their website right now. It's very easy to use. You can find a solution to your auto parts needs in one place. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. And from there, you want to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So candidly, there ended up being a lot more news and stuff with the over-unders, et cetera, on this podcast than I anticipated. So I'll only do a couple of mailbag questions here, but I have more saved up. And in the offseason, is a good time to do some mailbags, so I'll have more in the future. But a couple of the questions that I want to get to here, kick things off. And uh, by the way, feel free to fire away more on Twitter, at BT Roland. If you have questions, I will be happy to answer them either on Twitter or on the podcast or both. Um, first question comes from Alan, who asks, ironically, are you going to do any mailbags this summer? <laughs> Uh, and then he says, if so, I'd love to know how you would rank Hunter, Herder, and Reddish moving forward in terms of their future value with the Hawks. So, yes, Alan, I'm doing the mailbag right now, so hopefully you're listening to the podcast. As for the question, this one is obviously a question that a lot of Hawks observers have had at various times in the past. And there's a different question with regard to next season, etc., when you have to throw in Bogdanovich and how the rotation might play out. But I'm going to go with the way that it was asked, which is future value overall. That includes next season, but also looks ahead to the future. Um, to address the question itself, um, I think the easiest part of this question for me is having Hunter number one of that group. I have Hunter number one um, of those three, and I'm pretty convicted in that. Now, there is a caveat that Hunter does have some injury stuff now with the uncertainty about his knee after missing the majority of last season. He had surgery on June 15th. Um, he's projected to be um, in training camp and healthy, but there's always at least some worry about that injury until he can prove that he's played for you know a few months even even beyond that because he came back of course last year was generally fine just did not um, sort of had a recurrence so that's a question mark until it's not but if you assume relatively good health for Hunter I think he's the best prospect of that group um, he was also the clearly the best of the three last season when he was playing I will be uh, honest and I think pretty sure about that um, I think he is the oldest of the three though that's worth pointing out. Um, even if he was drafted the year before, uh, sorry, the year after Herder, he is older than Herder and obviously older than Reddish as well. But I think a combination of offense and defense for Hunter is the strongest. I think he, he reached a very intriguing level of play before the injury last year. I think uh, that is hopefully real for the Hawks because if he can unlock that, he makes them a lot more dangerous. So I would have Hunter number one. Um, the other two are closer together. And I think um, even in the last few weeks, I've kind of laughed about how there are kind of two sides to this, and people are very entrenched on the Herder versus Reddish thing right now. Um, so you get some discrepancies in sort of when you, when you ask and who you ask. I think a lot of it honestly comes down to how you feel about Reddish, because Herder, I think there's more of a consensus, at least in general, about his work. I do think, though, that Herder is still underrated. I've always liked him a lot, but he uh, gets he got some attention rightfully for the playoffs. He was awesome in Game 7 against Philadelphia, etc. I think he was good the entire way. Um, Herder is older than Reddish, but he's also a much, much better offensive player right now, much more proven on that end of the floor. Um, the argument for him would obviously be on that end of the floor more than anything else. He's a career 38% three-point shooter. On good volume, he's a good passer. He can be a secondary creator. He showed some willingness to attack mismatches and exploit them in the playoffs using that length at 6'7". Um, he's also been pretty durable. There was this weird knock that I used to push back on a lot early in his career that he was injury prone, but he really has never been. Um, he's appeared in 200 out of a possible 
221 regular season games in his career, and also he played in every playoff game last year. So if you include the playoffs, Herder's played in 91% of games that he was um, eligible to play in. That's very good. <laughs> so injury stuff is not really concerned. I know he missed some offseason time, which probably contributed to it. But in terms of showing up for work when the season is going and being healthy and being durable, he's been pretty darn durable so far in his career. Um, so there's that. Um, beyond that, though, I think defensively, he's not as good as Radish by any means. But I think Herter is pretty encouraging in terms of being just solid. Even better than that, potentially, defensively. You know, he was asked to guard a lot of defensive uh, challenges last year because of the absence of Reddish and Hunter at different times. He did a pretty good job with that, I thought, overall. Not going to be a shutdown guy, but the good size is very helpful. He's gotten stronger. There's some more work to do there, for sure. But I think that he's a pretty good positional and team defender already, and I think he'll be just fine on that end. It's not really going to be a huge plus, but uh, not a huge negative either. Now we'll go to Reddish quickly, sort of a uh, synopsis of what he's been able to bring to the table. Um, the top-line thought, though, is that Reddish's ceiling is higher than, than Herter's. I do think that is true. Um, and that may not be too controversial, but I think it's worth definitely pointing out that his ceiling, I think, is higher. Defensively, he is better right now. I think will be better in the future as well. I have long been high on Reddish's defense, dating back even before the draft. I thought his offense was overrated in the draft, and his defense was underrated. That's proven, I think, to be true at this point in time. I think he has the ability to be like borderline elite defensively. That's how good I think he can be if he puts it all together. That's a huge point in his favor. And again, he is a year younger than Herter. But offensively uh, is where I think things fall apart. I know Cam's had awesome quarters and halves and even like weeks of play. But overall, the numbers are not good offensively for Reddish. Now, you can say that that's a product of him being young and inexperienced and the injuries and all that stuff. And that's all fair, I think. But in terms of evaluating what we've already seen right now, he's not been a good offensive player for any length of time in the NBA. Um, career, he is a 37.8% shooter from the floor. Not from three, from the floor. 31% um, from three, 44% from two. That's not good. And his EFG, effective field goal percentage, is 45%. That's very bad. Um, he's a good free throw shooter. That does help him, 81%. But the volume hasn't been too huge there. He does get to the line more than Herder does, for, for what it's worth. But he also has more... Turnovers than assists, Reddish does in his NBA career through two, through two seasons. So the awareness stuff, not always been the best offensively. He was better around the rim in year two, notably so. But three-point shooting um, went down a little bit. And still, even with the improvement, he was 46% from two last year, which is still not where you want him to be. So I'm, I'm not too worried about the health either, but Reddish has had some health stuff. He's played 56% of the team's games in two seasons, which is uh, not ideal. And I'm not breaking any ground here, I don't think, but the real uncertainty about Reddish is just like, what is this offensive game going to be? Can he be consistent? That's something even the team has acknowledged. You know, everyone talks about his upside, and it's definitely there. I mean, I definitely have trumpeted that in the past, but I don't know what his real baseline is offensively. And that's really a question mark when you're talking about a wing. So, all that said, I, I love his defense. I believe in him. I really do. I think I'm higher on him than the national consensus is on Cam. Like, there was lots of trade offers around the draft that got floated um and I thought that wasn't enough for Reddish. I said at, at the time I, I would not have traded Reddish for even a top 15 20 pick in the draft I think I wanted, would have wanted more than that like a top 10-ish pick for him um so I'm pretty high on, on on Cam but I think that I would also ultimately land on Herter right now being a, a slightly ahead of him overall and again Reddish's upside's higher but Herter I think is just much better right now in terms of just being a more proven commodity offensively so Hunter, then Herder, then Reddish to answer the question. And again, I would acknowledge Reddish's upside is high, but uh, that's the order that I put those guys in right now. Um, next question comes from Vince, who asks, um, I don't live in Atlanta, but 
a friend and I were talking about coming to, coming to Atlanta for a week and trying to go to every home game for the Hawks while we're there. I won't hold you to it, but if you had to pick a single week to come for the best Hawks schedule next season, what would it be? So this is pretty interesting. Uh, by the way, I recommend Graham Chappell's uh, Peachtree Hoops schedule dive that went up on Monday. It's always a good deep dive into the schedule. I talked about a couple of things last week on Friday on Friday evening. This is very objective, so I would just say this is my opinion. But I think there are three good options for full weeks if you were looking for a full week to maximize uh, in Atlanta for home games. One is a more creative option, and it's December 3rd through the 10th. There's only three home games in that stretch because they actually go on the road at one point for a one-game trip to Minnesota. But the three home games are Philadelphia, Charlotte, and Brooklyn. So Philly and Brooklyn are self-explanatory. And then you get Charlotte with LaMelo Ball. If you haven't seen him before, he's a lot of fun. And then you can go to maybe like to a sports bar and watch the Minnesota game while you're also in town. So that's one that's sort of like off the board, but a pretty interesting one in my view. Uh, the next one in chronological order will be January 15th through 21. You get the Knicks on Saturday night at home. Then you get the Bucks on MLK Day, and that for me is the biggest selling point for this one is that MLK Day is awesome. I always love when the Hawks play at home, have the choir intros. It's always a lively crowd. And the Bucks coming to town, that'll be an awesome game. National TV, all the, all the rest. And then you have Minnesota Wednesday, which is not, not as great, but not, not a terrible game with Anthony Edwards coming home, by the way, back to Atlanta, or at least back to Georgia. And then Miami on Friday. So Knicks, Bucks, Wolves with Anthony Edwards, and then Miami on Friday is a pretty good stretch of four games in seven days. And then the last one, chronologically, is January 28th through February the 3rd. You get Boston on a Friday night. That's an ESPN game. Then you have the Lakers on Sunday afternoon, a 1 o'clock Lakers game. Then you have Toronto on Tuesday, and then Phoenix on Thursday before you leave town. So, honestly, that's probably the best one in my view. It depends on probably how you feel about the Lakers and Toronto, but you throw Phoenix in there at the end, that's a heck of a stretch with uh, four good games in a row and, and no real duds. So, those are some options. Obviously, you know, price and all that stuff definitely matters too, but those are just game quality and, uh, and one-week settings at home. Hopefully that answers your question and a couple of good options to choose from. Um, I'm going to actually wrap it now on the podcast. I have a couple more questions that I'll get to in the near future about like, you know, tiers and all that kind of stuff that I've uh, filed away, but that's enough for, that's enough for today's podcast. Um, but thank you for listening as always. And again, please fire away with any mailbag questions that you might have, and I will answer them in some form or fashion, whether it be on Twitter or on the podcast. Tell a friend about the show, pick your favorite podcast player, whether it be Apple or Spotify, Google, etc. Subscribe to us there. Tell a friend, and we'll see you later on in the week.